0: I left it out of the order of service, but I have the great honor of being the worship associate today and therefore of giving a reflection. And some of the uh, ideas raised by Acts are something I've reflected on quite a lot. The uh, early church that's described there, the way people shared everything uh, in an open and common way um, have inspired a lot of Communities down through the years, Christian communes, such as the Unitarians' own Hopedale near Boston in the 19th century, and many, many others. I wonder if that vision of people living together and sharing alike whatever is needed um, even inspired Karl Marx and socialists and communists who came after him, as hostile as he was to religion and specifically Christianity. Another person who was inspired um, was somebody who works in a genre of literature that is particularly uh, key to helping us imagine ways of living together that human beings have not necessarily done yet. And that is science fiction. It's one of my favorite books, The Dispossessed, published in the 1970s by Ursula K. Le Guin. And in it, she describes a culture, an entire planet called Anares, in which the only principle of what we might call law, what they do not uh, call that, is mutual aid. People help one another. There are no police. There are no courts. There are no locks on any of the doors because there is no property, which is to say that everything is owned in common. When somebody needs a new pair of jeans, they go to the dispensary and they find a pair of jeans that suits them and fits them and they walk away with it. And everybody shares the work, the difficult work, the unlikable work, as well as the work that they are particularly called by their talents and interests to do. I've wondered sometimes if uh, somebody came with a rocket and said, Amy, you can emigrate to anaras right now. Would I go? That's my own thought experiment pairing uh, Ursula Le Guin's own. Would I go? Would I live with no possessions in exchange for being in a community where everyone shares what they need? Everybody has what they need. Or if times get hard, and she describes such a time in the course of the novel when there's a terrible drought and a famine that goes on for years, nobody is hungry while another eats. If they suffer, they suffer together. If they thrive, they thrive together. What an amazing vision of a community. So would I be willing to live that way? John Lennon in Imagine seems to think that imagining having no possessions is the hardest thing for us. And I look around at my possessions. Of which I'm very fond. I collect art and books and put things on the walls that I like to have around me. I came here today in my own car that I paid for and that only I and my family have the right to travel in. And I wonder, do I really care about owning them? I don't think I do. I think I want the use of these things and I wish that everybody had the use of all the books and cars and clothes and houses that they need. I don't think ownership is so important. No rocket ship has arrived to test my theory. Of course, I live this way. We mostly do, all of us, in in families. We have a little communistic society where we all contribute, we all pitch in, and we all freely take from what we need take what we need from what the family owns. And to a large extent, a congregation works that way as well. But I've often thought, as I run this little thought experiment for myself, how would we make that work on a larger scale? And the problem, of course, seems to be that not everybody would participate well. It's as if you need everyone to have glad and generous hearts in order to live in such a community. That's what I've always thought. And it wasn't until this week, when I was pondering the reading that Rick has brought to us, and after I spoke to him about his thoughts on the service, that it occurred to me that what Acts is telling me is that maybe I've got it backwards. That it's not the glad and generous hearts that make the sharing possible, but living in a sharing community that gives us such joy and generosity. Maybe we need to make it so, and we will discover what happens to us. So since no rocket ship has shown up, I know what I need to do. I know if I want to live in a community at all like Anaris, I'm going to have to help build it here. Rick.
1: Thanks, Amy, for that reflection. I imagine that most of us would agree that this is not the best of times. Is it the worst of times? I can't say for certain, but it surely feels like it. There are many things within the current social and political scenes that feel pretty awful, as bad as we can remember. The problem with judging this as the worst of times is that we lose sight of some terrible times, that have gone before. For instance, not long ago, I read Ron Chernow's great biography of Alexander Hamilton. Interestingly, it is the work on which the contemporary hit musical is based. The book is an excellent historical account of a key figure in the founding of this country, but it seems highly unlikely as a source for a musical. I confess I haven't seen the musical, so I can only give credit to Lynn manuel Miranda's genius from afar, for it must take genius to make music of such an account of a most challenging time in the history of the United States. In those days, the political infighting in the late 18th century between the Federalists and the Republicans was fierce. Sounds familiar each side believed the success of the new nation was totally dependent on its point of view and each feared the other was selling out america's new-found independence the republicans believed the federalists were a front for the british monarchy and the federalists saw the republicans as tools of the chaos and bloodshed of the french revolution this was the beginning of Party politics, which in our own time have become deeply entrenched and intractable, as many of the nation's founders feared they would. If you think today's news, if you think today's news conferences, fake or otherwise, tweets, leaks, hacks, and other political chicanery are bad, you should read about the terrors of politics in the 1790s. The diatribes, name-calling, mud-slinging, etc., was vicious and offered up under pseudonyms that purported to keep the authors anonymous and safe. Libelous commentary and threats to honor were still settled with duels, one of which took Hamilton's life. I can't affirm with certainty that this earlier time was worse than the present, but it surely was not good. The current political environment, along with the COVID-19 pandemic, has exposed great rifts in our social fabric. The depth and the breadth of racism, sexism, classism, xenophobia, and generalized fear and hatred, that for many years lay dormant, have been exposed. My friend, Laura Mayo, Observes that some are now seeing, perhaps for the first time that our society is thickly sedimented is thickly contoured by sedimented injustice laid down over generations. We've watched with the current we've watched the current occupant of the White House in a colossal failure of leadership create chaos in the country through contradicting experts, relying on charlatans, making claims to knowledge and understanding he clearly does not have, facetly lying to the American people and refusing to take responsibility for any of his missteps and dissembling. Of course, he does not carry all the blame for the mess we're in. There are others who are equally and perhaps more dangerously responsible. You can name your own litany. We live in a time of dangerous opportunity. What will our future be? We do have some say in that. The great Canadian troubadour, Leonard Cohen sang what's become a familiar refrain. Ring the bells that still can ring. Forget your perfect offering. There is a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. These great social rifts with which we're confronted are letting in a lot of light. The question is whether we will rush to seal up those cracks and refuse to see or follow the light. With a high degree of hope, author and poet Sonia Renee Taylor has written recently, we will not go back to normal normal never was our pre-corona existence was never normal other than we normalized greed inequity, exhaustion depletion extraction disconnection confusion rage hoarding hate and lack we should not long to return my friends we are being given the opportunity to stitch a new garment one that fits all humanity and nature. Indeed, we are being given the opportunity to walk in the light. Are we willing and able to take those steps? Several years ago, when the House of Representatives passed a health care bill that promised more harm than health for many Americans, Massachusetts, Massachusetts Congressman Joe Kennedy proclaimed in a prescient speech that seems intricately interwoven with today's text. It's among the most basic human truths. Every one of us someday will be brought to our knees by a diagnosis we didn't expect, a phone call we can't imagine, or a loss we cannot endure. That common humanity inspires that common humanity inspires our mercy, he argues. It fortifies our compassion. It drives us to look out for the sick, the elderly, the poor, and the most vulnerable among us. He says yesterday's bill, yesterday's devastating bill does the opposite. The bill is more than premiums and tax cuts. It's a cold and calculated worldview And we're experiencing that so much these days, a cold and calculated worldview, one that scapegoats the struggling and sees faults in suffering, one dead set on dividing us based on who we love, where we come from, the direction of our faith and the size of our fortunes. He insists we must reject it. We must decide instead to take care of each other because, but for the grace of God, we will all one day wake up in need of a little mercy. Little did he know how quickly that day would come. He concludes, this nation's character has never been defined by the power we give the strong, the already strong, but by the strength We give the weak. Is it so? The framers of of our Constitution held a tenuous belief that truly Republican government could and would form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty, to ourselves and our posterity. Have these words ever really run true? Following the founders, is Kennedy right? Do we believe we are part of a common humanity? Has our national character overall been defined by the strength we give the weak? Would God it were so? Sounds like gospel truth to me, even if it has never been consistently American truth. It does seem like Kennedy has caught some of the vision of that first community of Christ followers huddled in Jerusalem, what some refer to as the first church. In Luke's perhaps overly idealized summary of what that community was like, the strength given to the weak was crucial all who believed were together and had all things in common they would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need it's easy to look at this passage from acts and read communism between the lines and big red letters because of the great cold war which some of us lived through that was waged between American capitalism and state communism, it's still a dirty word in the vernacular. And this text raises old specters for those of us who do remember. In a sermon entitled A Vibrant Communism, Australian Bruce Pruer begins by saying, Given the fears, suffering, and massacres caused by the Marxist, Leninist, Maoist, Pol Pot brands, of political communism during the 20th century, the word communism has been corrupted, maybe irredeemable. He says, can I even dare use the word communism without raising barriers and arousing hostility in many people? He says, I guess I'll know by the feedback after the sermon, maybe I'll have the same experience. But rather than focus on the worst of times I would rather attend ultimately to the good news in today's text. Even if Luke is embellishing what really happened among those first followers, this still seems to me to be a fitting account of the Jesus way. First and foremost, it says the early disciples devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. In other words, they grounded their lives individually and communally in spiritual discipline. This sort of spiritual practice is vital to understanding and living out the gospel in a faith community. Then, because they are engaged in the spiritual discipline, they were not only able to do signs and wonders as Jesus had, they were able, at least for a while, to sustain a community in which they shared not only their possessions, but their lives. They could live communally, praying, breaking bread, and eating together with glad and generous hearts. Isn't that a wonderful way to describe a community, one that is characterized not only by giving strength to the weak, but also by living life with glad and generous hearts. Maybe in these troubled times, especially in these troubled times, we as people of faith ought to work at cultivating glad and generous hearts. I don't mean we should stick our heads in the sand and while the world crumbles around us. It's always appropriate to stand up for what we believe and speak truth to power. But listen to the result of those first Christians living with glad and generous hearts. Luke says that they experienced the goodwill of all the people, and day by day God added to their numbers those who were being saved. There was actually something salvific in their witness, something infectious in the spirit of joy and generosity with which they approached life. Pruer, looking back at this first community, ends his sermon by suggesting to his contemporary congregation such idealistic communism would be truly a bit of heaven on earth. Those first Christians bravely and lovingly practiced it in Jerusalem. Think of the witness that such a caring, sharing way of life must have had on the community around them. Folk would really sit up and take notice. No wonder new convert, converts were being baptized every day. See, many people were and are drawn to that kind of decent, loving, uplifting way of navigating life. The Holy all things in common selling our possessions and goods, and distributing the proceeds to those in need may be a vision of God's beloved community for which we are not yet prepared. We can still live our lives caring and sharing, building up our common humanity, providing for the general welfare, giving strength to the weak, inspiring mercy, fortifying compassion, and looking out for the sick, the elderly, the poor, and the most vulnerable among us. And very importantly, because we have been loved, cared for, and blessed, we might live our lives even in tough times with glad and generous hearts. What do you think?
0: Shall we give it a try? Amen.